Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 25. Leviticus chapter 25. We're continuing our study of the Feast of Israel. We started, of course, Leviticus 23 and saw some things. We're seeing two feasts that kind of go together, the sabbatical year, which was every seven years, and the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. And we saw in these feasts some special things, freedom and rest and restoration and God's provisions. So this morning, we last week we talked about the sabbatical year. This morning, we're going to look at the Feast of Jubilee. It's every 50 years. And look at this. There's a rest for the land and the people, the restoration of property, the release of slaves, and the opportunity to trust God. Now, that's every 50 years for the nation of Israel. Every seven years, if you remember, they had to stop and, and all of that kind of thing. And we'll see it. So let, let's see it as we go through there. Let's start with this, that security. We all want it. We all need it. We, we say we want to know we're secure in Christ. When you think about our lives as believers, we belong to Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that we are secure in Christ, that we have everlasting life and it never ends. And, and the Bible says that we are secure and that we can have that assurance. Security and assurance are two different things. Every believer is secure. Not every believer has assurance. Assurance is understanding your security in Christ. First John 5, 13, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may what? Do y'all know? Are we listening? That you may know that you have eternal life. So you don't have to guess or hope so. We all know we have eternal life because we have believed in Jesus Christ. We can rest in that assurance. Now think about the year of Jubilee for the nation of Israel. You can say, well, how did that do for them? Well, involved in this faith was assurance. It went back to the land. If you remember that land, Joshua came in and they took the land and they divided the land into 12 tribes. Each of the tribes got a section of land, and then each of those 12 tribes then went through, and all of the families got particular land to live on. And what was amazing is the land that they got then was their land forever. And we all know nowadays you, you can have a piece of property, you can sell it, somebody else gets it. And, and then you can't say, well, that's my land. No, not. you sold it. But what they knew is the land that God had given to them was their land forever. They had security and assurance of that. So we're going to look at that, and let's think about the Feast of Jubilee. It goes back to the Sabbath principle, work six days and rest on the seventh. We saw last time a sabbatical year, and that was they would have six days, uh, six years that they would do crops and everything. And then what was so weird, on the seventh year, they didn't do crops at all. God promised them enough food would come from the sixth year to take them through the seventh year, eighth year, and on into the ninth year. And that's exactly what happened. But what we realize is uh, that, <clears throat> that this Sabbath principle is a, is a great principle that just like the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, and now the, Sabbath, the uh, Feast of Jubilee or the, day, the ju year of Jubilee, how did that fit together? And so let's think about it. Remember, we said that there's a weekly feast called the Sabbath. There's a monthly feast called the New Moon. There are yearly feasts. Seven of them were found in Leviticus 23. Also, the Feast of Purim and the Feast of Hanukkah are yearly. And now we're looking at non-yearly feasts that the Jewish people remember. One is called the sabbatical year every seven years. One's called the year of Jubilee. Now, let's go back and let's remind ourselves a little bit about the Sabbath year. You will work six days and rest on the seventh. Look at Leviticus 25. Look at verse 3. Six years you shall show your, show, sow your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. 
a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your harvest, your vineyard. Your harvest afterwards you shall not reap, and your grapes or untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. And so we just stop with that and just realize you're going to have to trust God, right? That if, if how you make a living basically is through your land and through your crops and your food, you do that for six years. On the seventh year, you don't do anything. And you have to trust that God's going to provide enough in the sixth year to take you to the sixth year, the seventh year, and eighth year and on. And that's what that whole thing was. And so it was they had to trust God. Now, we saw last time that the nation of Israel didn't trust God in that. They didn't keep the Sabbath years. And that's why in Second Chronicles, when it talks about the nation of Israel being taken off into captivity, God actually says, I'm going to let them take their, their Sabbath years all at the same time because they didn't take them. Now, it'd be hard. What if, if somebody told you that you could work for six years and then the seventh year you don't work? And that God, you'll make enough money in the sixth year to take you through the seventh year and then on into the eighth year too, and then on into the ninth year. You might say, yeah, right. But they did, and they had to trust God. That's what makes this so powerful. And we see we have to trust God. So here's, here's the thing, and this is what we see. It was rest for the land and the people. They had to trust God to provide, because he actually says, I'm going to grow a lot more in the sixth year. And there was the release of debt. Now, this is what's amazing. If you borrowed money from somebody and you couldn't pay it, at the end of the, of the six years, as you went into the sabbatical year, your debt was canceled. It was canceled. And so if a person came to you in the fifth year and wanted to borrow a lot of money, you might say, I don't think so. Because in less than a year and a half, you're going, it's going to be over with anyway, whether you pay me back or not. And so the whole idea was to have people have freedom, that they wouldn't be caught in such a bind that they couldn't make it. And so every seven years, that was the release. And as we said in Second Chronicles, one of the reasons for the captivity is they didn't keep the Sabbaths. And so God said, I'm going to let you keep the Sabbath years all at one time. Now, let's turn to this one, which is called the year of Jubilee. And this is strange because you say Jubilee. Ju the word Jubilee comes from the word Jubal, which goes back to the word for, for horn. The year of Jubilee, they would blow the horn. And that's why it's called Jubilee. And so what happens here, if you notice, let's look at Leviticus 25, look at verse 8, okay? Leviticus 25, verse 8. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of the year, mainly 49 years. You shall sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall sound a horn all throughout the land. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year. So they counted off the seven, the 49 years, and as they got to the 50th year, they would then, on the Day of Atonement, they would blow, blow the horn. And if you notice, it says on the, on the 10th day of the seventh month, that's the Day of Atonement, they would blow the horn and basically say, we're taking off another year. We just took off a year. You just had the seventh year, which was a Sabbath year. And now you've got to take off another year. And in the seventh year, you release people's debt, right? And now here we go. This is the 50th year. We've had seven sevens, 49. Now, this is the 50th year. And on the Day of Atonement, 
which what made what was so special about the Day of Atonement? We saw that was one of those feasts in, in Leviticus 23. What's the Day of Atonement? What happens on that day? It, they covered, exactly right, they covered the sins of the nation of Israel for a year. It was the high holy day. It was the big day. And now on this particular day, on the 50th year, every 50 years, it's the year of Jubilee, and they're going to blow the horn. And if you look at <clears throat> verses 9 and 10, notice what it says. You shall then sound a ram's horn on the, tenth, on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all throughout your land. You shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim a release. Now watch, a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you return to his own family. Well, just in those two verses, you already see they're going to blow the trumpet, and debts are going to be released, and people are going to be, the land is going to switch back to the original owners. And this is what makes it so unique. And what, the Day of Atonement, and so the 50th year, there's the proclaim. It's the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. Verse 11 says, you shall have the 50th year's Jubilee. You shall not sow, nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its untrimmed vines. It is Jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field. He said, whatever's there, you can eat it. But this is what it is. It's a big day. Now, I want you to think about trusting God. If you, every seven years, you had to trust God, and now at the 49th year, you trusted God, and now you're to the 50th year, and what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to trust him again for two years in a row, so to speak, plus this is on the Day of Atonement, plus we're going to see what happens. There, there are three big things that happen. First of all, and, and we'll, we'll go more detail in a minute, but the first one is there's rest for the soil. There's no soul in a reaping. It's going to be completely rest for the soil. Uh, already in 25.11, he says, You shall have the 50th year's jubilee. You shall not sow, nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its untrimmed vines. You just got to let it go. It's got to rest. They rested. As God said, I worked six, day, work six days, you know, creating the heavens and earth in six days, rest on the seventh. You shall work six days, rest on the seventh. You shall work six years, rest on the seventh. You shall work 49 years, so to speak, except for the seventh. And then you're going to rest on the 50th year. Wow. The second thing. Um, that's two years in a row. Now, the reversal of the land, that this is wild. The land was returned to the original owners. Let's say that your granddaddy had some troubles or just didn't like his land. He wanted to sell. He wanted some money. He wanted some, And he sold his land to somebody else. That was your granddaddy. And you don't, you don't have that land anymore. And some years go by. In fact... 70 years go by, you're now in your 70s, and the land that your granddaddy sold away comes back to you forever. It's your land. And, and so uh, what if uh, all of us, I mean, I, when I was coaching at Mississippi State right before I went to seminary, I didn't realize that I bought this house, this land in the house, and then as I got ready to go, I, I, had to, I sold it. What if after 30 years, somebody said, oh, by the way, all the land goes back to the original owners. That's your land. Because in Israel, the land, when did they get their land? Yeah, when Joshua came in and gave them the land and divided it up. That family, let's pretend you're from the tribe of Judah and you have land. That family, that land will belong to them forever. And even if they sell it every 70 years, I mean, 
what did I say, 70? Yeah, 50 years, I mean. Every 50 years, it comes back to them. It'll always be their land. All the way back to the time of Joshua. So they returned at the reversal of the land. Look at verse 10. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his own family. It all comes back. It all comes back. Verse 13, on the year of Jubilee, every one of you shall return to his own property. So that's what he's saying. You get your land back. You'd go, wow, that's fantastic. There's one other thing that happens in this. Freedom of the Israelite slaves, a release of any slave. Verse 10 talks about it. It says a release. It says a release to the land of its inhabitants. Anybody that's a slave, anybody that's got themselves into trouble, they're going to get out of that. And they get to, to, to come out of that. In verse 39 through 41, it says almost the same thing. It says, if any of your countrymen becomes so poor regards to you that he sells himself to you, he basically says, at the end, uh, he, he will serve you until the year of Jubilee. So you've only got, you've got them just for a short period of time. So it's pretty incredible. Now watch this. So rest for the land and people. The land will be returned and the release of the slaves. Is there security in knowing that that land that your grandfather had and sold off, is one day is going to come back maybe to your kids or to your, or your grandkids, or maybe you if you live long enough. It's going to come back to you. Everybody goes back to the original land. Now, <clears throat> you might say, uh, why is this? Well, because the land belongs to God. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God, and God lets them divide it up. So let's look at some details for a second. Rest for the land. As they came to these, this, these, these years of the time of rest and the time they must trust God. They had to. They had to. What else are they going to do? On the 49th and 50th year, they had to trust God. Notice this. The rain goes back to the original families. We just read verse 13. But he says, on this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. Now, let's talk about and Let's get practical. You're there. And you own this land that your family has had all the way back to the time of Joshua. Will you always have this land? Unless you what? You sell it, but will it eventually come back to you? Eventually, yes. So you decide to sell it. And a guy comes and says, I'd like to buy your land. He said, okay. How are they going to decide? What if you wanted to sell or needed to sell your land? How did you do it? Look at Leviticus 25 verse 14. If you make a sale, moreover, to your friend or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. Don't cheat each other. Why? Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell you according to the number of the years of crops. If the land is worth $100,000 and the year of Jubilee just happened and it's going to be 50 years, how much, if you wanted to buy that land, how much would they sell it to you for? $100,000. But if we're 25 years into this thing, how much is he going to sell you the land for? 50000 because you can't, you're not going to buy it for 100000 because you only got 25 more crops out of it, not 50 crops. That's how they decided to sell it. So you, you didn't just cheat somebody or you didn't just put up a price. They said, this land is worth this much. We got 14 years left until the year of Jubilee, and it automatically goes to you. So I'm only going to pay for 14 crops. That's basically what he says. 
And, and it's, it's pretty incredible. He says, corresponding, verse 15, corresponding to the number of crops. And then he says in verse 16, in proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase his price. And in proportion to the fewness of years, you shall diminish his price. For it is a number of crops he is selling you. That's what it boils down to. Corresponding to the years, buy or sell based on the number of crops. More or less, basically, until it's time for the year of Jubilee. Look at verse 17. You shall not wrong one another, for you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. If everybody knows that you got 14 crops left to go, this guy wants to sell it to you, and he's saying, wait a minute, that's like 20 crops. It's only got 14 left. He's basically saying, don't cheat each other. Based on the number of crops, that's how you sell the land. Now, what's so good about it? The land's going to always come back to you eventually, one way or the other. It's not to be sold but more or less until Jubilee. It's not to be sold permanently. Look at Leviticus 25. Look at verse 23. This is what's amazing. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently. Why? For the land is mine. And for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Who owns the land? Today, there's a big argument on who does Gaza belong to and who does the Golan Heights belong to, who does the West Bank belong to, who does Israel belong to, who does the Sinai belong to, who does the, everybody's arguing and they say it belongs to Israel. Who does it belong to? It belongs to God. That's God's land. God picked out that land. God said, Abraham, here's the land I'm, I'm allowing you to live on. It's God's land. In fact, Abraham, we've been studying on Wednesday nights, the patriarchs. Abraham never owned anything on the whole land that God promised him except a place to bury Sarah. That's it. Neither did Isaac, neither did Jacob. The only time they ever owned land and got the land is when Joshua came in and they took the land, ran the Canaanites out, and divided everybody up the land. But even then, God says, moreover, the land shall not be sold permanently. Why? For the land is mine, but you are aliens and soldiers of me. How did most people make their living in that day? They were farmers. They all had land. That's how you made it. Now, I've got another question. Is that always true that whatever you sell, you get it back in 50 years? You'd say yes, but there's an exception. Everything comes back at Jubilee, but there's an exception. And notice this. Uh, verse 25 uh, now, I want, let me go down to 29 because I, we've read some of the 25. Look at verse 29 of, of Leviticus 25. Likewise, if a man sells a dwelling house in a wall city, is that, is that a field? Is that a way to make crops? No, this is a house inside of a city. You live outside Jerusalem and you have some land that was given to you all the way back to Joshua. Will you always have that land? Somehow inside Jerusalem, you own this little section you decide to sell this. At 50 years, will you get this back? Possibly. Watch this. Likewise, if a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, then his redemption right remains valid until a full year from its sale. His right of redemption lasts a full year. That means within the year after he sold it, he can buy it back. But watch what happens. But if, if it is not bought back from him within the space of a full year, 
then the house that is in the wall city passes permanently to its personer through his generations. It does not revert in jubilee. Why? Because it has nothing to do with what? Making a living, so to speak. It's not the land. It's not the crops. Remember, they're selling the crops. The land was given to them, especially when this was written. They all are out there. They have their own land, their crops, everything else. They're saying, now, if you do it in a wall city and it's not farmland and you want to buy it or you sell it, you've got one year if you want to get it back. And if it passes the year, they don't have to ever sell it to you again. It belongs to them. <coughs> wow. So, the sale, you got the right of redemption, <coughs> one year. And then the release of the slaves. This is wild. Can you imagine? What if you were a slave? You had sold your land, you had sold yourself, and now the year of Jubilee comes. What happens? You are free and you get your land back. Wow. <coughs> Look at verse 39. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor, regard to you, he sells himself to you, <coughs> you shall not subject him. I've got to get some water. <clears throat> Excuse me just a second. I have, some, I have something hidden under here. It may or may not be water. <clears throat> I'm still having a lot of trouble with my voice. Sorry. He says if he gets so poor that he has to sell himself. He shall be, verse 40, he shall be you like a hired man. You don't treat him like a servant because he's one of yours. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his sons with him, <coughs> and shall go back to his family that he may return to the property of his forefathers. So no matter what happens, if you get so poor and so messed up, you have to sell your land and you have to sell yourself, and you become somebody's servant, at the end of the 50 years, you get released, and you get your land back. There's security there. There's secu and it may not be you, but it may be your family that is released and gets back. Because notice it says, he shall go out, he and his sons with him. When a person sold themselves into slavery, they sold their family into slavery. Not just the person. And so that's why those sons, they're probably looking at it and saying, boy, I wish it was the year of Jubilee. The right of redemption. We realize we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. So before we break, think about this. We belong to Jesus. He sets us free. The year of Jubilee is every 50 years. The land gets a rest. The people get a rest. They have to trust God. The land returns to the original owners, and anybody that's a slave is set free. So let's look at this. Let's be wise stewards of what God has given to us. What did God give to Israel? The, the land, right? That's your land, and they're to use it wisely. Sometimes they had to sell it, sometimes they didn't, but it's going to all come back to them. Well, what has God given to us? He's given us our lives. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your 
bodies as living and holy sacrifices. What we should do is take our lives, our bodies, and say, God, take my life. Use me for anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Whatever you want me to do, that's our lives. Also, our time and abilities. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it is required of stewards to be found trustworthy or faithful. Listen, every one of us in this room who know Christ as Savior, who have believed in him for eternal life, every one of us have at least one spiritual gift. You may have more than one spiritual gift. It is our responsibility to be wise stewards of what he's given us, not only our lives, but the gifts, talents, abilities, time, money, possessions, everything belongs to him. We want to use them for his glory. We want to be a wise steward. It basically says, more, brother, it is required of stewards to be found trustworthy. That's what we're supposed to be. Second one is, let's trust God to provide. They had to trust God in the 49th and 50th year. They had to trust him every seven years, 14, 20, all the way to 49, had to trust him in, and 50 had to trust him there. Guess what? My God shall supply all your needs. Listen, this is the book of Philippians. We start Philippians next Sunday morning. We're going to go through the book verse by verse. It's not very long. And it's, let me say it in a nice way. It is not the most theological of Paul's books. It's probably one of the most practical of his books. We need practical right this second. You know, we're going through a lot of stuff and everything. You know, you know so many good things. And we want to say, I, I, how do I live? How do I live in the midst of all this? In chapters 1 and 2 of Philippians, he's going to give you, here's, here's his theology. And then in chapters 3 and 4, this is how you live it out. But all of it ties together. It's a book called Joy is what it really is. So God will supply every need that we have. And we're going to have to trust him in the same way they had to trust the third one is, let's realize our security is in Christ. They knew that they always had that land, always, no matter what, that it eventually come back to their family. It was God's land who each person got a portion of it. We realize we're secure in Jesus Christ. From the moment we believe in him, he gives us what? See, here's the thing. You've got to do this. When you talk to people and they tell you things like, you can lose your salvation, they'll say that. And they'll, you'll say, do you mean you're saying you can believe in Christ and you're saved and then you can lose it? Yes. Say, what do you get when you're saved? The moment you're saved, what do you get? Eternal life. How long does that last? Forever. And so when a person says, well, you could lose it, you say, you can't lose eternal life because eternal life is life forever. Now, if it wasn't eternal life, it'd have to have a different name. You know, life for a short period of time, or life until you sin, or life till you mess. This is eternal life, and you get it from God. And so when people, if they would just grasp the fact that the moment they believe in Christ, they have eternal life forever. And that's the security that we have. And they had security knowing this was their land, and they would always get it back eventually. And then last, let's thank God for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Basically, God was the Redeemer of these people, especially the slaves, especially the people who sold themselves off and had to get redeemed back. That's basically what it is. He's the redeemer. Well, we're redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.